from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. Hey, what's up everybody out there on the interwebs? We are back recording the podcast. With me as always, no, he's not here. Hipster's glasses himself. We sent him to New York to cover the draft. He's on a bike. We don't know when he's going to get there. But make his way all the way down here from Thornton, the king himself, Jeff Morton. What's up, everybody? And, and yes, we, Nate and I really do miss Ross. And uh, one of these days we will podcast with him again. But unfortunately, the draft took uh, precedence here. So hopefully by the time he's down, you know, done peddling his huffy <laughs> down to uh, New York, you know, we'll have everything covered. But uh, we have a special guest today, Nathan. We do, we do. We have Andrew Feinstein of DenverStiffs.com and of Denver. <laughs> Andrew Feinstein of Denver. So yes. I'll introduce him now. He, hail, he hails from Denver. Gentlemen, thank you for having me on. This is exciting. Two days before uh, this uh, intermittent period in Denver Nuggets history is going to be redetermined. As I know, it's nice, and I'm, I'm glad we caught you in town. It's the biggest draft. The <laughs> You're biggest the draft world travel. Life, biggest so. draft ever, and I'm the <laughs> schmuck who booked the plane flight in the middle of it. So... <laughs> I won't, I won't know what happens until I end up on the other side of the world. So you booked a plane flight in the middle of our stiff night out, too. I mean, we're, we're, we're I know. Like, I wait know. a minute. Wait. <laughs> when does your plane leave? It leaves Denver at 2 in the afternoon. It gets to Newark sometime in the evening, and then i got to fly overnight overseas. So I'm going to literally miss the whole draft. They have Wi-Fi, though, right? No. Not on these international flights. No. Oh, brutal. Oh, my God. So you'll, you may know in Newark who they draft. Uh, let me think about that. Newark is four and a half hours away. So if I leave here at 2 in the afternoon, I get there at 6, and a, six at 6.30, but you add two hours, which is 8.30. You're right. I will know. You will know. 8.30. No, I won't because 8.30 there is 6.30 here. We won't know yet. What time does the draft start? Five, right? No, probably six. Five. If it starts at 5, I'll know who we drafted. Probably coverage until 6. Yeah. We need to look that up. We're it's, very, it's two days the, before the You're the, the Nuggets. Send us an email about this. <laughs> and we didn't read yeah. it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Andy, you're going to be out of the loop a little bit. That's weird. But you're going to, uh, to Israel, huh? I'm going to Israel. I booked this ticket, you know, three months ago, and I just didn't think about the NBA draft when I booked the ticket. But lessons <laughs> learned. I won't do this again. That's you, a, yeah, you were planning okay. on the Nuggets being in the playoffs, though, right? So the draft pick would have been yeah, in the 20s. No, you t- <laughs> Two of the three of us were planning on the Nuggets being at the playoffs. And I, I will say I was one of them. Yeah, it says here, coverage begins at 5 o'clock. Um, I, was, uh, I was one of the three of us, the only one of the three of us, who thought the Nuggets would not make the playoffs. I foolishly predicted them to finish ninth uh, in the Western Conference pecking order. But Boy, I was way off. Yeah. I wasn't too far off. I was like, I think it's sixth. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I had them winning 55 games. Yeah. I was the schmuck who like, really drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, Brian and Shaw had a big old swimming pool full of that Kool-Aid. Yes, he did. I was yes, swimming did. around it. And then turned into rancid bile. By Brian the Shaw, may his, may his coaching career rest in peace. I saw a picture of him on Twitter with Kevin Durant, uh, and it said, like, run, ran into Oakland's finest. It was like a Nike tweet or something. And just looking at Shaw, I thought to myself, I had no like I had no feeling that he was ever a Nuggets coach. Like he's I gonna know. he's gonna be a weird blip on the Nuggets map of coaches. Oh, weird blip. He will. Uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it, Nate. He, he'll join. Uh, Paul he'll join. Uh, I was gonna say Michael Cooper and Gene Littles and the oh. obscure history of Nuggets coaches. But yeah, I guess more like Paul. Paul, Paul Wesley got two years. Paul, Paul Wesley got two years, but I think Donnie Walsh had a year and a half. So yeah, he's, he's joining Donnie Walsh in the in the pantheon of wasn't, Nuggets coaches. Wasn't Westhead right after Doug Moe? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. that that'll be basically who shot. 
shallow. So we're hoping that uh, we're hoping that Michael Malone is the Dan Issel of, uh, of uh, that. So we'll have a miraculous Dan Issel one point oh, not yeah. Dan Issel two no, no, not two not two point yeah. not the not the mix. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. Let's just hope that uh, <laughs> there's not a fan drinking a lot of beer, following him around at the arena. Yes. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into some discussion on this uh, various topics around the league. Uh, we took some questions from Twitter that, that can hopefully lead us into some of this. Uh, first one, let's go with Max Tan. He asks us, for me, it's all about the boogie, but Sacramento mm. isn't looking to part with him, which we kind of know is true, right? And then we're, we're seeing, uh, so then we got another question. Let me, uh, hold on a sec. Max, that wasn't a question. <laughs> <laughs> we asked you to submit us questions. It was not a question. <laughs> <laughs> we got, there's a couple other similar ones. We've got Aaron Atencio says, Heard you were taking questions for the podcast. What would the Nuggets have to trade for DeMarcus Cousins? And then Sydney Dog says, If DeMarcus Cousins requested a trade a month ago, perhaps Denver's thinking was, uh, with Pete D'Alessandro and Mike Malone, is more clear. D'Alessandro knew Malone was the ace in the hole for DeMarcus Cousins. So there's a lot of... Uh, DeMarcus Cousins' fever because of the reports that have come out over the past few days. The general manager there, Vlade Divac, is on record telling media members he's not trading Cousins. Uh, Vivek Randadive last night on Twitter tells USA Today, not on Twitter, tells USA Today in a report that they're not trading DeMarcus Cousins. He doesn't know where these rumors are coming from. And then an hour later, Adrian Wojnarowski, Yahoo Sports, has a report that says uh, sources familiar with the situation saying George Carl trying to put together a group to push Cousins out the door. In and then here, th- 33 minutes ago, George Carl dismisses reports that he wanted to trade DeMarcus Cousins as crazy fibs and lies. Fibs? What is this, the 1950s, George? <laughs> Liars. Uh, fibs and lies. <laughs> Does he mean fibs? Like Tom Thibodeau? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that's an interesting... I, I watched that video that that's in. Uh, Andy, and it wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement for DeMarcus Cousins. <clears throat> to George Carl actually had a video of him talking about this situation. Yeah. It was, uh, what about, uh, you, know, you know, you know this is a national story when my father, who pays very little attention to the NBA, emails me an article from the USA Today about, USA Today about <laughs> DeMarcus Cousins' snake tweet with the grass, with the <laughs> snake the, between the, the grass. When the grass is cut, the snakes will, will, will appear. There's even a, a Sacramento Bee reporter had to describe that in his article about yeah. the whole thing, Mr. Jason Jones. It's just hilarious that that's kind of where we are in this time in the world of... Isn't that, the, isn't that what uh, Mello said about George, right? Well, there was, there's a lot of tweets. Iguodala had a snake in the grass reference. Ty Lawson's had one. Um, J.R. Smith has had one. Carmelo. Andre- I think it started with Carmelo. Carmelo is the one who, who began that. And then everyone subsequent has been the snake thing with George. So. Yeah. But, George, you're, you, you've, uh, um, I, I, I think you really, truly deserve to be bashed for this. So what do you guys, what do you guys think? What's your take on what may happen in Sacramento with this turmoil surrounding the team? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think uh, I don't think Cousins is going anywhere. I really don't. I, I think they're going to make them work together uh, as well. They should, and um, I think the people who are getting their hopes up for the Nuggets uh, trading for Demarcus Cousins are going to be sadly disappointed. Because imagine uh, tr- tr- try to picture your, to yourself the the amount of chips the Nuggets would have to have to give away in order to obtain Demarcus Cousins, and what the Knicks looked like. And what 
maybe the Kings look like now is what the Nuggets would look like after that trade. It's not worth it. He is only 24 years old, yes, so I, I, would, I would take that door number two, but I agree with you, Jeffrey. It's not happening. Uh, Vlad Divac does not come out and adamantly deny it uh, if he doesn't mean it. Yep. And I think what's going to think what I do think will happen on Thursday, and this is probably wishful thinking, uh, I see us getting two picks. I, I think that, that Ty Lawson six pick is just a marriage made in heaven. You know, George wants to be in the playoffs now. Vivek Ranadive wants to be in the playoffs now. You put Ty Lawson on that Kings team, say what you want about Ty Lawson. you got a fighting chance. I mean, if Ty Lawson's your best player, you're the Denver Nuggets, and you win, what did we win, 31 games? Yeah. Um, but if you're, uh, if you're 30 games, I think. But if you're the Sacramento Kings and you have Ty Lawson and he's your third or fourth best player, you've got a shot at 47 wins in a playoff spot. Yeah. I agree, and I think that, that if the Nuggets are going to pursue a course, it'll be that. They'll yeah. get the, a second pick in order to obtain them a good thing. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> think that George is putting his job on the line. And yes, he is. There's no other NBA jobs around at the moment, so it's kind of a dangerous time to, to start clashing with ownership. Well, it's such an odd report. Like, he was just like going around trying to convince people to convince Vivek to trade DeMarcus Cousins. Well, what's funny is that was kind of what Sacramento people would lead you to believe P.T. Alessandro did when he was there, is that him and Chris Mullen formed a group that constantly nagged Vivek to fire Mike Malone. So it's like, maybe this is just Vivek, you know? I mean, if the same situation's happening over and over with different people, is it the owner just making shit up or it, what? Well, you know? yeah, I mean, the, I wouldn't want to work with Vivek or Rana Dibay, but I think I do believe that George would lobby people to, to, to get his way. I think that's his, been his M.O. his entire career. That's what he does, so I completely believe it. You don't think this is uh, Dan Fagan in the well, background? That too. Dan Fagan, sorry. Dan Fagan is, for those uh, listening who may not know, is DeMarcus Cousins' agent. Uh, long history with the Nuggets. Yeah. Long history of clients of his clashing with George. Rumors were when the reason that George was held up as a coaching hire was that Fagan and by proxy Cousins were not happy with George coming there in the first place. Uh, Fagan didn't want Carl, the, the demanding George Carl, uh, you know, coaching his prized client. Is this Fagan stirring things up so that you know it forces the Kings to move uh, Boogie on draft day? Well, I think that uh, if Demarcus Cousins was unhappy, he was really unhappy after they fired Malone. If he was wanting to get out, it's been back to all the way, all the way back then. You know, this is just a continuation of that. And I know Dan Fagan and, and George do not have a good history, um, so that is that is definitely plausible too. I mean, all of these things though are definitely th- are, are aspects that you can believe because we know George Carl and we know that he does tend to like to stir things up. So let's let's so. say Andy, let's. What's your best guess at what the Nuggets would have to surrender to get Cousins in a draft day oh, trade? Oh, I, I think the Cousins ship has sailed. I mean, it, it would have to be Lawson, Fareed, and Jeff's BFF, uh, <laughs> <Yep>. Danilo Gallinari, <laughs> and our seventh pick. And what you do is you end up getting their sixth pick. You get Demarcus Cousins, and you get two throw-in players. You get like Darren Collison, Carl Andre, some combination, and. To Jeff's point earlier, we basically become the Kings overnight. You know, we become yeah. a 30-win team with DeMarcus Cousins as our starting center. At least you can build from that. 
Um, but but that's, you, that's, that's, that, to me, is the package it would take. I, I love that report that I read that uh, Farid and Lawson were – I'd do Farid and Lawson all day of the week for Marcus Cousins. <laughs> I don't think that trade had any legs. No. And it's I, not enough. I'm pretty curious about, you know, if they were able to land Cousins – I mean, okay, so you get him, and like, like we're talking about, we saw what we we see what New York's been trying to do with Carmelo. They're spinning their wheels because the salary's so high. But with a new TV deal coming in, maybe you have some more flexibility. But you don't have that long if you trade it for Cousins to get good enough to where he's not going to start looking around in free agency in 2017. That's a great point. But the only caveat that if he's your guy, you can give him that fifth year and you can pay him more, right? That's true. Right. Um, That's true. But, uh, and you hope that if you do get Cousins, his bond with Malone is strong enough that he stays here. Uh, but again, I think the Cousins ship has sailed. I, I, I'm not, I mean, look, I don't know Vladi Divac, but uh, my gut feel is Vladi wouldn't have been so adamant um, in, uh, you know, yeah. uh, basically saying this story is ridiculous. We're trying to improve our team, and Vladi's right. If he's trying to improve his team, then you add loss and you don't leave, you don't, you don't move Cousins. And I also don't buy for a minute that Andy doesn't know Vladi Divac. <laughs> I, believe, I believe we're going to hear a report at some point hey, I'm going to Serbia with Vladi Divac. <laughs> Andy Feinstein, who knows everyone. <laughs> Will so, eventually re- reveal that he knows Vladi Vidots all the time, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it's the ship sailed as Andy said. It's like you would have to give up way too much, and uh, I think the Nuggets fans should be really refocusing their efforts on the uh, the NBA draft. So let's get into a little bit of the draft. Andy, you already hit on this. It was kind of your dream scenario. We we wrote about it on Denver Stiffs as well. Uh, Victor Sweat on Twitter. Not sure it's a guy you'd want to play basketball against. Uh, he says, "What is more likely, the Nuggets coming out of the draft with two top ten picks?" Or trading back? Ooh. What does trading back mean? Like back? Like, like back. Bernie Bickerstaff? Like yes. moving down? Like, like I Tim Connolly last season trading l- back. Let me, let me tell you something. There's a, there's a large difference between trading back when you're at the pick 11 than when you're trading back at pick 7. I think the Nuggets would be excoriated, rightfully, for trading back if they were... You know, at the pick seven. However, I could see them trying to and maybe possibly succeeding in obtaining a second pick, possibly either a later round to get one of these point guards they've been uh, working out, or maybe maybe even a little higher, uh, maybe the sixth pick. I could see that too. I thought Andy's scenario. Okay, so let's say the the Kings are now in hot water with Demarcus Cousins. If they don't put a winner around him almost immediately, if they don't start showing drastic improvement in the next year or two, he's definitely leaving if he's not already going to leave anyway. So I think that on draft night, the Nuggets have a pretty good shot at trading for that sixth pick with the Kings unless another team comes in and trumps the Ty Lawson card. And I don't, I, the interesting part to me was I never got that George was that interested in Kenneth Fareed as a player. I kind of thought George somewhat disliked Kenneth Fareed. But I, I know he liked Lawson, but I don't know how much he liked Lawson. I think that the, the, the story that's not – the one thing that we're not talking about, I've said this on the radio a few times, I haven't had a chance to write about it, unfortunately, is what's really interesting about this draft is not so much who's in front of Denver, but who's immediately behind Denver. If you look immediately behind Denver, you've got Detroit, you've got Charlotte, you've got Miami, you've got Indiana, and you've got Utah, okay, and Phoenix. Every one of those teams wants to be in the playoffs tomorrow. Tomorrow or yesterday, whatever you want to say, right? I think Ty Lawson's a great fit on every single one of those teams. I mean, maybe not Miami because they've got Goran Dragic locked up, but you don't think 
Michael Jordan would love to have Ty Lawson, who played at UNC as yeah. the starting point guard of the yeah. Charlotte Hornets, playing alongside Kemba Walker. I mean, they'd be undersized at guard, but that's a hell of a backcourt. I mean, that's a that's a playoff that's a playoff backcourt in the Eastern Conference. So I think looking behind the Nuggets is where we should be looking. I mean, Detroit Pistons with Brandon Jennings tearing up his ACL. Maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't. You don't think they'd love to have Ty Lawson in Detroit, especially when you consider like. If for some weird reason Emmanuel Moutier falls to the Nuggets at seven, oh then, please, please, please! Then they could definitely look at trading back a couple of picks to get a guy like you know Stanley Johnson, Devin Booker, a guy I like, Miles Turner, maybe in a point guard, Cameron Payne or whoever. So that no, I guess if they drafted Moutier, what the hell would they do and draft right. Payne? Yeah. But the, there are some wing players there. There's Johnson, there's Booker, and there's some big guys that are interesting too. So th- I think that's a scenario, Andy. That yeah, like you said, is not being talked about enough. I've looked at picks later on, you know, like the Rockets at 18, maybe maybe that's a fit for Ty Lawson. But, yeah, I mean, why not look right at, you know, the fringe of the lottery right there? That's, that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And I mean, gosh, I, I, I would have no problem with the Nuggets walking away on draft night with Justice Winslow at 7 and Willie Cauley-Stein at 11 with the Pacers, right? And then Willie Cauley-Stein plays alongside Nurkic. That's a badass front court. Yes. I don't think Winslow will be there. I think I think Winslow's going to the Knicks. I really do. At four? Yep. Really? I think I think he's going to the Knicks, and that's why Moutier will fall. To be quite honest with you. And why is Moutier suddenly falling on so many draft boards? Because I've seen other, you know, Chad Ford of ESPN. Now, as of tonight, has Moutier going three? That's so the, that's no the way. thing. And we've talked unless about Russell goes two. They've got Pozingas no going two. They got insane. Okafor going six. That is, that's I, insane. I, I gotta tell you, I think if I think if D'Angelo Russell is available at number four, I think the Nuggets try to make a huge offer to right. go up and get him. Right. I think. I mean, if that's if that's, but that's the thing with Moutier is you know like Jeff and I have ta- been talking to people and we kind of hear and you kind of see it every year. You see these guys that you know rise and fall and then they kind of get picked where they should have gotten picked in the first place. And that's Moutier. If Moutier falls to seven. The Nuggets have lucked out big time, but more than likely, he's gone in the top four. Have they been working out, Moutier? He hasn't come here, and he's refused to work out for the Kings. Huh. So he's, I think he's of the belief that he's going top five. Wow. Which might be his play, might be something to intrigue teams to try to trade up for him. I don't know. It's interesting. Well, it's weird because the wild card in this whole thing has been Porzingis rocketing up the, up the, the charts here. The problem is... Who knows who's going to take Porzingis? He could fall all the way down to 11. You but know? that's what the Nuggets need, right? They yeah. need some stupid team. Am I the only guy stupid? in America that thought that, that – am I the only guy in America that thought that Okafor looked pretty damn good in college and in the tournament? <laughs> I mean, Okafor, to me, I mean, he was a smooth big man. I mean, he reminded me of a young Tim Duncan. Am I the only one? The problem that uh, he has is that he has no defensive skill, which is weird for a big man. Everyone says, yeah. but what does that mean? Really? That means he's a matador up there? Yeah. I, kinda, I listened to an interesting podcast with a guy that actually took over Jim Klivenoff's uh, scouting service after Klivenoff got hired by the Nuggets. And he was talking about Okafor and his footwork and kind of how big guys develop slower right. on the defensive end with their footwork. And, you know, he's got great offensive footwork. But he goes, you know, what, what 17 or 18-year-old is out there going to the gym saying, today I'm going to work on my defensive footwork. Right. I mean, that's something that kind of comes along later. So teams I like – Teams that sleep on guys like Ogilvy, I mean, yeah, maybe he winds up being the best player in this draft in in four or five years. But there's such a demand for like immediate, 
I, I think about this last year. I was fascinated with Noah Vonley. You guys even heard of that name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he gets picked ninth or something with Charlotte. kind of gets buried. But with all of these guys, you're not going to see payoff right away, right? you got to have some patience, and it's such an impatient world. It's Look at Otto Porter, right? He was the fourth yes, pick to the exactly. Wizards two years ago, and the world declared him a bust after his rookie year. He was a contributor last year on a team that went to the second round of the playoffs. I mean, Broke they won the playoffs. They won games without John Wall because of Otto Porter. Yeah. So, uh, hey, look! Look at uh, look at the the Stifle Tower, you know, yeah. former former Nugget draftee, right? <laughs> uh, so I'm just you know, <laughs> you know, with Rudy Gobert in Utah, I mean, he developed what three years later. Um, so I I just think that to your point, Nate, I agree. I mean, yeah, you don't know uh, right now, but boy, Pozingas, uh, <laughs> is he Skidishvili? Is he Darko <laughs> or is he Dirk? That's a big question. Well, this is, you know, it's one of those things. It's like the same thing with Hazonia. You know, you're like, I don't think necessarily with the kind of technology, and Tim Connolly has said this to us on the podcast, that it's, it's not what it was in the 90s, even the early 2000s, that scouting in, in Europe is totally better than it was. I mean, Ephemios Rencius of Nuggets bust fame, He wasn't even scouted. He wasn't even scouted. Bernie just picked him because he, he, he thought he was a center. And he turned out to be the six foot seven guard, and it's he like, was like a power forward. But yeah, he was, yeah, kind he was of. Terrible. And he was. It's just like it. It never. It never really. It was. It's a different world. You're so much better at scouting in Europe now than they used to be. They have people who are dedicated to follow these guys around and really develop them, um, or they see their development. And I say, I, and I'm less adverse to risk now with them than I was before. You know, there's there's good, there's less likely to be Skeetas now, even less likely to be Jan Vesely's now. You know, so we we came back to we keep coming back to kind of the same names at number seven. You know, there's there's Moutier, Winslow, Zonia, and the question that I wonder with you guys is, let's say the Nuggets draft whomever they draft it at pick seven. How okay would you guys be if that player is out of the league after the rookie deal is over? Like, what do you the, mean? How would I be okay? With, I mean, I wouldn't be okay with that at all. What do you? What, what kind of question is that? Would you take the potential for a boomer bust player? Oh, like you're Hizonia? saying Winslow, who you're assuming will be in the NBA in four years, versus Hazonia would be out in four years, potentially. Potentially, yeah. That's but kind of the setup. What's to say that? Uh, what's to say that Winslow couldn't be out in four years? I mean, you know, we, we've seen, we've seen. Look at Hashim Thabit. Yeah, I mean, she, yeah. She, she was a known guy. He played at UConn for Christ's sakes. Yep, you know, Dunzo, Dunzo. After just a couple seasons, um, Johnny Flynn. You know, Johnny Flynn. Like, what he took Syracuse to a Final Four. Yeah. Um, of all the point guards drafted in that draft, he went ahead of, yeah, of uh, Ricky Rubio and Steph Curry and, and Darren Collison and Ty Lawson and Drew Holiday. Yeah. Right. Johnny Flynn gone. Dunzo gone. So I, I just don't – I guess I just don't look at the Winslow. I mean, Winslow – here's the thing, Winslow. I, I wrote that I would take Winslow because he's in theory I, – I, I like guys who show a lot of leadership and help lead their teams to championships, which he certainly did. Yeah. But, you know, the more I've read about Winslow, at six four and a half, he played a lot of four in college. He ain't going to play four in the NBA. Nope. And if he can't shoot, I see Michael Kidd Gilchrist all of a sudden. And Michael Kidd Gilchrist is not that good of a pro. He's a decent defender. But if your game is on the line, he ain't making a big shot for okay, it. Okay, let me, let me tell you a Winslow story. Um, the public portion of the workout is never, is, is the Nuggets workouts, 
Well, any workout. They only let you in for the last part of the workout. That's generally not the best time to be watching a workout because they're tired by that. You know, you don't really get the best inclination. You don't really get to, get to see the, what the best of that person is at that time. Um, I put out a video on my, the, the Colorado Sports Guy YouTube channel of Winslow, and he's got completely excoriated because he just looked awful. He looked awful in the workout. To be honest with you, and I'm going to be 100% honest with the, with the uh, people who are listening right but now. The only reason he looked I awful? Had, I had to cut the video down to one minute of him working out because it would have reflected on him more poorly if I didn't. And I made a conscious decision to do that because I didn't want to be accused of someone who's just like out to get Winslow. No, it was just that bad. And it's the public portion. It's like you really can't tell because I'm sure the Nuggets, and I've got every indication that the Nuggets were okay with his workout. And they, they were okay with what he did in there. So my point being, what I saw in the workout, the only thing that, that disturbed me was a, was a guy who used the word forced when talking about going to a destination, i.e. Denver. Well, we'll be forced to go wherever we're supposed to go. It was a very negative kind of connotation. And he made a very dramatic point of complaining about the altitude, hmm. which bugged me. And, and, and it's those things that you can, you can extrapolate. The actual workout itself, you can't do much. And I've got to tell you, the guys that impressed me, Devin Booker, um, even Stanley Johnson, who didn't, you know, his shot is all weird. The one of the weirdest shots I've ever and seen. And he ghosted in the tournament, which scares me. <laughs> yeah. But, then, you know, but he but was so a did, mature kid. But so did Jabari Parker, and so did Andrew Wiggins. That's so. true. So, I mean, I'm like, this is, this is, this is, that's what I'm saying. This is like, but you, when you see them one-on-one and you try to gauge their maturity, I think you can glean more from that than you can anything else. And Winslow didn't show me a lot in the maturity department when he spoke to the press. That's what worried me, and that's what will worry me if the Nuggets take him at seven is that aspect of it more than anything else. Yeah, I, I kind of got that sense, too. He didn't have a great – I didn't really – I didn't care about his shooting performance. I thought his actual shot looked pretty good. But, yeah, the interview part was just kind of like he didn't come off as well. And that may not mean a lot, but it does mean something at some point. I mean, Stanley Johnson had a great interview. It's Devin Booker, same thing. Jerry and Grant, same thing. And maybe that just comes with, with maturity and age. But the, another – I'm going to parrot this podcast a lot because it was really good. The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, the 76ers podcast, brought up some great points with the, the scout they had that uh, Alon, it's Evie Hoops, uh, the service that took over, Jim Klibanoff's service after he left and came to the Nuggets. This kid that worked with Klibanoff took it over. Um, kid, man, whatever he is. Uh, so he runs this service now. They provide scouting to NBA teams. And when he was talking about Winslow, I, I found it very interesting that he was saying – because you keep hearing, oh, he has high basketball IQ, very smart player. This guy was killing Winslow for being a low basketball IQ guy, saying that you know, Mike Krzyzewski had to routinely bench him during the season, the first half of the season. Uh, he specifically pointed out a St. John's game where at Madison Square Garden where he benched Winslow, did not start him in the second half, and there was just some kind of some red flags that yeah. started coming up, which, which again shows me that, you know, I can read these articles and do all this stuff, but there's just things that I don't pick up on because I don't watch that much college basketball. I'm not watching every three single of us, one of Winslow's the, games. The three of us don't watch that much. I mean, d- disclaimer, the three of us aren't college basketball experts. But just to, we, see, we, we see a lot of these guys in this, this process before the draft, watching a lot of YouTube and stuff like that. So go ahead. And it, I mean, and it shows. I mean, obviously, 
you know, Mike Krzyzewski valued Winslow enough to recruit him and get him to come there, and he played well. They won the title. But, you know, one season at Duke, a first half of the season that was not very good, maybe he showed maturity, but he doesn't have a long track record. I mean, it's not like, like Andy was saying. He's not a sure thing. Nobody's a sure thing. So, But my larger point with the Nuggets is, you know, do we want them to do their homework to the best of their ability and take a shot on a guy that might be a star player, you know, or a bust? Or should they go with a guy that they think can be a starter and a pretty decent player? Like, would you rather them see him? Would you rather them kind of play it safe or take a swing for the fences? Well, <clears throat> so to your point, um, maybe you should take a swing of the fences at seven because there are sure things in the draft, but they don't come around at seven, right? No. So LeBron James, sure thing. Carmelo Anthony, sure thing. Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, right. all sure things. In this draft, I think, um, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, I think Okafor, I think Russell, I think Moutier. Uh, but when you get to seven, that's a great point. I mean, I mean, Winslow's, a, you know, everyone talks about Winslow, Winslow like he's the safe pick. Again, I see Michael Kidd Gilchrist. And uh, there's nothing wrong with Michael Kidd Gilchrist, but it's Hazonia, to your point, Nate. I mean, that's rolling the dice. And Hazonia, is he going to, you know, what's his ceiling? Is he draws in Petrovic? I mean, what's his ceiling? Yeah, is he that or is he, you know, is he a, a bench weapon that you can use to, you know, come in and score some points, which is kind of all he's being asked to do now. Yeah. Rudy, so, Rudy Fernandez? No. Yeah, people love that. He's so much, he's bigger <laughs> than Rudy. He's, you know, taller, weighs more, but yeah, that's. With Hazonia, I just get the sense that, you know, again, just limited viewing on my part, but things we hear from the team and, you know, things we, we hear around about Hazonia, you know, and even the article today with David Pick from Bleacher Report where he delved deep into Hazonia and, you know, Pedro Sojakovic was asked to mentor Hazonia and he said, no, he's too cocky. And then Peja went and watched him and started spending time around him and said, that's a good kind of cocky. I want to be yeah. around this kid. So there's signs there that say, you know, he is 20. And he has all these tools. He just needs more teaching and, and more coaching. And to me, that's something that's better to take a, a, a swing at. I don't think he's received much coaching in Barcelona. I think that they've taken personally that he has had NBA goals. And they have basically buried him. And, until and even the when playoffs. he wants to practice. I mean, Pick had that <laughs> instance where he's having to rebound his own basketballs and use cones and chairs because... The team's not giving him guys to go out there and help him rebound his shots whenever he wants. I mean, it's, it it's is, very interesting. I think people need to temper their, their things with Hazonia with the fact that he's been actively messed with by Barcelona, H, uh, FC Barcelona. They've really done it. I mean, everyone you talk to about it says the same thing. And didn't he just go like six yeah. for seven off the bench in the, in the playoff game for, he, for them? Yeah. And, and game it's one of the finals. Game, right? Yeah, and he just, you know, and I, 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 they, are they still playing? Did they play today? I don't know. Um, I lost track. I, me too. The DeMarcus Cousins news took up everything. I think that there's a lot of things, but there again, there's some warning signs. It's like with Winslow, you don't know. You won't be knowing until they get on the team and you see how they accept coaching and all that stuff. You just don't know. Can you imagine Nurkic, yeah. Nurkic, Jokic, Laverne, uh, Hazonia, Gallinari? And that's <laughs> like our, I mean, with Ty Lawson <laughs> as their point guard. Yusuf Nurkic is, is advocating for Mario. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of interesting Blackhawk trips. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell, I'll tell you this. It's, it's, it's interesting in, insofar as Nurkic is what he is. I mean, I'm, for me, the jury's still out for me on Nurkic. But Laverne is a, is a bench player, you know. Um, Jokic, we don't know. 
Now, uh, I've said, I've told this story before, but I'll say it again. Um, the Nuggets themselves, the last year's draft, we were all giving them compliments on the Nurkic and Gary Harris thing, and all they wanted to talk about was the Jokic pitch, yeah. the pick. All they wanted to talk about was the Jokic pitch. And they think that maybe he was the steal of the draft. And, and if you look at redrafts of this year, they probably, he probably would have projected to be a lottery player. So maybe it was getting a second-round pick for that. You know, maybe we got to see how this guy does and see how he fits into the whole scheme of things, you know? And also, I wonder, too, yeah, I wonder if, if Jokic would have been able to display the same shooting as Porzingis with a bigger – I mean, he's a bigger body. Yeah. He weighs, you know, 30 pounds more than Porzingis. Yes, I, I wonder if he would have gotten that same buzz to where it's like Jokic starts shooting up and is a mid-first-round pick or something, but – I kind of I, I still like Gary Harris too. I think Gary Harris has a ton of potential, especially now that he might have a coach that's able to really reach him and tap into some of his defensive potential. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really I, of the people who are coming forward. I'm really looking forward to Jokic coming over because the Nuggets have really talked him up. So I, I really want to see him in action. Jokic, I'm talking about Gary Harris. I want Gary Harris in action. Gary Harris. <laughs> I love Gary Harris. Come on, fool. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, I, hopefully Gary has worked on his shot making ability. Yeah, he didn't get a lot of opportunities though, Gary Harris. No. I felt, yeah, yeah no. he's got a good shot, but he had no role. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they use him in year two, which kind of leads you back around to you know what do you want this Nuggets team to do, you know, with some of the players they have. Randy Foy has a basically a team option by July 11th. You know, should they keep bringing around these guys or should they turn this thing over to? You know, like Andy has said over and over, look at this Timberwolves roster, like you're drooling over young talent. The Nuggets aren't far away from being able to be there if they make a few right moves. I, I, I just think the Nuggets, yeah. we talked about this before we got on, uh, on air here, uh, I think the Nuggets need to think long-term. I think there's no short-term solution. No. There's nothing wrong with that. Be honest with the fans about what you're doing and rebuild and, and, and get that six pick. Trade loss and get that six pick. Uh, maybe move Foy for a, a, a. I mean, is he worth a late first round pick anymore? Nah, maybe. Um, well, you may not want to do that because you don't want to be foiled. <laughs> but go, <laughs> go young, redo the culture here, and, and do what Minnesota did. Now you're going to lose sixty games, sixty five games. That's not going to be a lot of fun. But but you know, start thinking about 2017 and beyond, and maybe we get a, instead of being a top seven pick next year, we have a top four or five pick next year, and 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 then you start thinking playoffs in 2017. And I'm looking at look at point guards. I see. Okay, so if the Nuggets pick seven and take a wing, if they if they get Hazonia at seven and they can't trade for six, and Moutier goes there, I would be really pretty happy if they were to figure out a way to get Notre Dame's point guard Jerry and Grant, who played pretty well in the tournament, and he's another guy that's like Moutier, an oversized guard. His his dad is Harvey Grant. His uncle is Horace Grant. I mean, I, I know love why did he? Why is he so low on everyone's boards? Why? I don't know. I think he's going to be. Seemed like a player. very mature kid. I really liked him in the workouts. I really liked him when he when he talked to the press. He was very, very, very mature. I, yeah. I really liked what I heard. But that's my hope is that they they come away with two picks in the first round. I don't have my heart set on two top ten picks because I think that's very difficult to pull off. But if they get if they get that. Or if they get another pick, you know, in the, in the teens somewhere, I'd be very happy if they were to come away with a wing and a point guard. Yeah, no, I think that's the goal too. I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. All right, we got we got a funny question here. Uh, our guy Alex Quinn, uh, hopefully that's how he pronounces it. If not, he's probably gonna kill me. Alec Nugget on Reddit. Uh, so one of the uh, Nuggets Reddit folk 
His name is Parade Shitter. I don't know if you want to have him around at a party <laughs> or not. Jesus. Uh, he asked. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad he wasn't around at Pride. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, with the cap increase, does Kenneth Fareed's contract move from a liability to an asset, and how does that affect his trade value? What do you guys think they're going to do with Fareed? And did, like, I, I did a podcast with the CBS Sports, and Sam Vecini said he believes Ken Freed's contract is the worst in the NBA. Which no, no. It's laughable. Yeah, I agree. No. no. I think he's imminently tradable, don't you guys? I think he's tradable. I just don't know what the Nuggets want to do with him. I mean, I mean, if we're going to parse this out, what are the Nuggets going to do with him? I think it's tradable, but or do the Nuggets want to keep him? Do they want to trade him? We really have no... It, 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 Kenneth is a high maintenance dude. You really, really, really have to. He wants to be shown you, love. I mean, you, he's a you guy have to tell him he's great all the time. He's basically. kind of starved for a little bit of affection. You know, he he needs that in his life, and if you give that to him, you know, he's good. JJ Hickson's kind of the same way, and it's funny because the two are kind of similar players in in some senses. But I I, I have a hard time believing the Nuggets are going to trade Fareed. I think if they part with Lawson. You know, parting with Farid as well, trading two fan favorites in one offseason is tough to do, especially when Farid is still very young, still valuable, and you don't have a lot of big contracts on this team. Because if you part with Lawson, you know, you have Gallinari's deal and you have Farid's deal, and that's basically it for, for high dollar contracts. Am I forgetting anybody? No, that's it. Um, and Gallo isn't expiring, so. Yeah. So I, I, I tend to think that though I'd be I'm very curious to know what Mike Malone plans to do with his starting lineup and how he plans to use Kenneth Fareed. If he can convince Fareed to come off the bench, I think that's a huge win. But then you start looking at that's a lot of money to be coming off the bench, right? I, you know, I've, I've never quite understood why coming off the it's, it's more about how many minutes you accumulate during the game. I mean, think about Dennis Rodman when he was coming off the bench for the Pistons until they flipped him into a starting role, swapping him and Mark McGuire, uh, Mark Aguirre, yeah. um in, in the very, very late uh, 80s, uh, in, I think in 1990. But, I mean, Fareed, I mean, if he's playing 30, 35 minutes a game, who cares if he starts or finishes? I mean, Manu Ginobili's come off the bench for you know, a great amount of his career, and he's, what, the third highest-paid Spur? So I'm, yeah. I'm not so much worried about yeah. where he comes off the bench. And I think your question should be, though, how many minutes is he getting? Because your point's well taken. If he's making $12 million a year or whatever it is that he gets paid, yeah. and he's only paying playing 20 minutes a game, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I just don't think that... I think it's going to be very difficult to convince him to come off the bench because he believes he's not that kind of player, and he doesn't see it in the same light, I think, as, as Manu Ginobili. He sees... I want to be a Team USA guy. I want to be in the same breath as all these you know, big-name guys, Kevin Love, Anthony Davis. And it might take trading him for him to realize that he has to take a different kind of role in the NBA. Or maybe Malone can figure out some miraculous way to, to start him and use him. But I, I just don't see it. I don't like that. With you know, I, and, I really and, think he has to come off the bench because if they're going to keep Gallo here, he really works well at the four. Melvin used Gallo really well at the four spot this year, and I think that's kind of he had his two forty-point games as a four. If the Nuggets are going to go with the Gallo as a stretch four, that's the best way they can do use him. Even if they intend to trade him at the deadline, or even if they, you know, do you know who knows at this point? So if they're going to do that and maximize his value, I think it would be behoove them to keep Kenneth Fareed coming off the bench. Hopefully, he accepts that. There we go from there. But you never know with Kenneth. He may take that as a slight, not a pat on the back, and he may reject it. Yeah. Andy, I'd like to we'll transition again. I liked your article about, about how 
lot of some readers and people on the internet didn't like it so much. But how the Nuggets should root for Mike Nuggets fans should root for Mike Malone. And I, I took away your point being, hey, he's now a Denver Nugget. You shouldn't just be. We, we shouldn't be saying fire the guy. We should kind of embrace him from the point that he's, you know, part of our Nuggets family now. If if there is such a thing. But how much are we? Is there anything that concerns you guys about about Michael Malone and what he's going to do? Do we know anything yet? Do you, you know? Is it? Is I mean, it Brian I, Shaw all over again. No, I mean, I, I mean, look, I, I'm coming from a very small sample size here. But as I mentioned to you guys earlier, I have a few friends in Sacramento who reached who are, who are Nuggets fans, just like we're Nuggets fans. They're they're kids of the '80s, uh, '90s who worship the Kings simply because of the geography in which they were born. Kings fans. Kings fans. Yes. And they have all told me to, you know, again, small sample size. I'm talking about three people here, but there are three people I really trust. And they, they said, you guys got a great coach. I mean, you know, he really got screwed in Sacramento. He did a great job. I thought he did a good job. I mean, he had, wait, he had known DeMarcus Cousins for like eight or nine games, and they were only a couple games under 500 when they, they bailed on him. And um, <clears throat> so I, my whole point was not hiring Melvin Hunt – and hiring Mike Malone, one has nothing to do with the other from a fan's perspective. It, it, you know, if, if they brought in, I'm trying to think, like, who do I like really despise out there? I have to think about. It. Like, if they brought in Bernie Bickerstaff as our head coach, maybe <laughs> you root against it, right? But they didn't do that. They brought in a young guy who's worked his ass off, who's climbed up through the ranks of assistant coaching, you know, uh, throughout the NBA. Got an ch- opportunity in Sacramento. I think he got screwed by ownership there. Oh yeah. So I think it behooves us as fans to root for him. And what are you going to root against him? Right, um, and I think that I hope Josh Kroenke and Tim Conley made the right decision here. It reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, uh, I don't want to get into politics, but like when your candidate doesn't win, you know, I still root for that candidate to be a successful leader for us, right? Because we're all worse off if they're not. And so that was my only point. My only point was like, to your, I get, you know, he's our coach. Let's root for him. Let's give him an opportunity. And and uh, look, I'm bummed. I, I if I, you know. As I wrote my article, if you're going to go the, the inexperienced, kind of cheaper route, for lack of a better word, why not give Melvin the job? What did Melvin do wrong not to get the job? But they didn't give Melvin the job. So let's move on. Let's root for Coach Malone. And, uh, and look, this year's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be ugly. You know, if Steve Kerr was coaching the team, it's going to be ugly. And uh, <laughs> you're going to have to give him an opportunity. It's going to be a two-year window, though. What, do you think that he's going to be able to – implement everything he was kind of saying at his press conference of, you know, we want to be a defensive team. We want to get back in transition. We need a defensive rebound. But we also want to run. We want to run, play in transition, and run with discipline. And Let me, let me tell you something. The, the words run with discipline, that means you're not going to be running. <laughs> I hate to break it to people, but that's, that's exactly what he, you know, and it's like, but every, every it team does, it do, You know, listen, I wouldn't blame people if they felt it was a bait and switch that the Nuggets pulled on them, to be honest with you. I would not blame them if they felt that they say, run, 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 run. Oh, but this coach doesn't coach that way. Because, you know, those were some buzzwords that were eerily similar to Brian Shaw. Now, he may be able to connect better than Shaw did. But the principle remains, especially if they don't change the roster, and that's the and that's the bugaboo. Is that bugaboo? I'm just that's a technical term. I, if they're going to try this, it's going to end up being a mess again with this roster. And in order to do what they want to do with him, which I think I'm pretty I'm pretty certain that this is not going to be a running team in your traditional sense. 
Um, if it's going to be that way, they're going to have to make some significant changes because this roster is really not built for that. Well, Jeff's got a great point. I mean, when J.J. Hickson's on your roster, you're playing half court. When Randy Foy's on your <laughs> roster, you're playing half court, right? Hate to say this, when Danilo Gallinari's on your roster, you're playing half court. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, going back a couple of years, when Corey Brewer's on your roster, you're playing fast. When you know, Andre Gudala's on your roster, you're playing fast. So the roster's going to have to evolve to be a running roster. Um, Josh and Tim, in meetings with us and in conversations with the fans and on the radio ad nauseum post-Brian Shaw, have insisted on this team getting back to its running Denver roots. Yeah. So I would, you know, I, one has to assume that this came up in those interviews with Malone, and this was an edict from the top that we are going to run again. We're going like, we may lose a lot of games, but it's going to be fun to watch. Um, kind of like that. Well, I've written a lot about that ninety-two, ninety-three Nuggets team that was a lot of fun to watch, but only won thirty-five games and didn't make the playoffs. One of, one so. of my favorite players on that team was Marcus Liberty. Yeah, me too. <laughs> he did awesome like last two weeks that season. Yes, remember? he did, and then never to be heard from again. <laughs> he never. Didn't he once pass a ball <laughs> off a guy's head that went into the hoop? Wasn't yes. that Marcus Liberty? That was Marcus Liberty. Yeah. Yes, it was. I, so, uh, you know, like, like, you got to root for the guy. You remember that. Mike, Mal- Mike Malone, it's not his fault they gave him the job over everybody <laughs> else, right? So, so uh, I mean, I guess it is he got the interview. But, you know, give him a chance. All, all I was saying is give him a chance. Why were the readers so mad at me anyway? Why, why was it, what were they saying? Well, not specifically readers. People on Twitter Facebook. and Facebook uh, were kind of saying, what? Like, root for this guy. He's a bum, you know, that kind of thing. Like, well, look at his record in Sacramento. It's okay, like, I did okay, hear, I did hear, a, I did hear a couple things. Um, <clears throat> and that was that the Nuggets don't have a player that the team can galvanize around, okay? They, no offense to your BFF. Yeah, whatever. They don't have a player that the team galvanizes around that gives the team a personality. Like, if you look at, you know, the, 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 the Pelicans, so glad they hired Alvin Gentry. Good luck to you, Alvin. That is Anthony Davis's team. No confusion, right? right. They're going to galvanize around him. So since the Nuggets don't have that player, the theory is they have to have a coach that brings an identity. And then if you want a coach that has a definable identity, especially with the way the NBA is played today, then that's Mike D'Antoni. And so I think there was some disappointment there that if the Nuggets aren't going to put the personality around the – I'm sorry, if the Nuggets are going to leave the personality at the feet of the coach, Malone's probably not the right fit for that. You don't think? I think he's got a great personality. Oh, he's got a personality, but I mean, I don't. Not, listen, the jury's out for me. I don't know. To be honest with you, this I, I, I told a member of the Nuggets organization. Yes, small sample size. Small sample size works works both ways. You know, you, you don't judge me by my record, but uh, that's all we have to judge you by. So it's like we did. It's a it's big unknown. So you're asking us not to judge you, but at the same time, it's like well, that's all we have. So it cuts both ways. So if you want us to like treat this as an unknown, fine. The man has never coached on necessarily an up tempo team. I guess I'm saying Jeff, Jeff's making my point for me yeah. more eloquently. I'm not saying the Nuggets can't galvanize around Malone. Yeah, I'm just saying how do we know? Whereas if D'Antoni came in, you knew exactly what you're going to get, and this team would have had a definable person. Now it may have been. Paul West at 2.0 here, yeah. where it's seven seconds or less and a lot of fun to watch. We're getting blown out 135 to 120 because we've got no talent. Yeah. Well, those teams um, weren't fun to watch. And, yeah. Those Nuggets teams were not fun to no. watch. These were the most embarrassing Nuggets teams I've yeah. ever watched. I took um, <laughs> credible writer that we have. Uh, I want to call him Adam Mars every time, but I guess it's Mares. 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 Uh, come on, I keep on saying Mars. I'm going to change it to Mars. Adam Mars. Or Mares. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. But his you should piece, know your own writers. Yeah, <laughs> it's just I look at it every day. On, Especially I see it on the good Twitter. ones. Yes, I know. So, uh, <laughs> but reading his piece about 
just one specific part of Mike Malone's offense in Sacramento is, you know, he just went over yeah. some post-ups. Yeah, that was interesting, yeah. And to me, reading between the lines of that or just kind of what I took away was that Mike Malone, obviously, everybody, Zach Lowe has said it on Twitter. I mean, he's a defensive coach, and he yeah. values defense. And what I kind of took away from what Adam was saying in his article was that, you know, Malone kind of uses his offense – to safeguard for his defense like you're yeah. he wants guys to get back in transition like if you can sprint on a fast break you can sprint back on defense but it's kind of like we saw with the Cavaliers in the playoffs like they try to control the 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 tempo of the game the pace of the game to kind of bog it down and slow it down so there is some of that you know I, I know if Malone still is preaching defense you know that's going to come first and I, I also took away um, in the piece that I wrote on on Sunday with with Melvin Hunt, when he said he got the offer, he had a choice between New Orleans and Dallas. And in Dallas, or in, in New Orleans, Alvin Gentry asked him to come coach the offense down mm. there. And he said that was a pretty big deal because head coaches don't like to give up control of their offense. So like Jeff has been saying, Malone's probably going to need some help on the offensive end, but how much is he going to be willing to, you know, how much power is he going to give up to let a smart offensive mind come in when it might tinker with and take away from his defensive principles. No, that's a great point. And, and look, Mike Malone, give him credit. I mean, he was a great yin to Mark Jackson's yang in Golden State. That was an up-tempo, offensive-minded team, and Mike Malone delivered the defense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was your quintessential. He was like Tom Thibodeau to Doc Rivers. Yeah. He was the quintessential defensive assistant coach. Um, and that's a very good point. And it's like John Fox with the Broncos, right? Isn't John Fox's whole background defense? Yeah. And he basically got in there and said, hey, you know, Adam Gase, Peyton Manning, you're the offensive coordinators. You know, you guys figure it out. Um, and uh, so that's a really good point. Um, and does anyone have any insight into his assistance yet? I, I haven't heard anything. Nothing. The only one is uh, Micah Knorr, who came from the Raptors. He was a football guy. I think football or baseball. He's a and I've kind of heard he's a grinder, came up to the Raptors, uh, was with Malone in Sacramento, and I believe Malone from David Aldridge of NBA.com said so he's trying to bring him to Denver again. Or but they're not keeping uh, Alan Bristow and Gene Littles. And, oh, am I off by a few years? Yeah, a little bit. Oh. Uh, um, Gene Littles. Yeah, the, only, the only guys that's He's still another one of the worst assistant uh, interim head coaches. I think the only assistant that's around still is uh, Noel Gillespie, who is with D'Antoni in Phoenix. Right. And, and, you know, uh, Noel's a good dude. I know Noel. He's a good dude. Um, it'd be great if he could stay here. And then uh, what, was, what was the name of our big man coach last year? I forget. Our Corsley Edwards. Corsley Edwards. Yeah. He yeah. Was, who was at the Tyus Jones workout? Edwards, yeah, was, Edwards there. was there. And, uh, John Beckett. And Yeah, John Beckett. And, was Noel uh, there? No, and, yeah. Mutombo? Patrick? No. No. Patrick Mutombo wasn't there? No. Ooh. That'd be weird if he's not here. He's been around for a while. Um, this is my thing. Maybe he was just I think if the there. Nuggets want to do a half tempo, they have to force it on Mike Malone. So what they're going to have to do is Did you say half tempo. Yeah, half tempo. No, if they're going to do up tempo, yeah, if they're going to do up tempo, they're going to have to force it on him by making the roster an up tempo roster. So that's that's on the Nuggets to do that because his inclination isn't to do that, and it really isn't. It's, he, most defensive, I mean, Tom Thibodeau, Lionel Hollins, those guys. People who are kind of like defense, like defensive coaches, tend to like say, "Yeah, you'll figure it out on offense." You know, like, "Oh, do whatever." It's just, I don't care. Just do defense, and we'll be fine. And what happens is that their ceiling is capped 
because you get into a situation where you literally need to be creative offensively, and they're like, I don't know. Just turn up the pressure and defensively. And their teams grind it out, and they win 95 to 89, mm-hmm. and it's tough to sit through. Yep. Um, it's going to be weird, too, because yeah. if they trade Ty Lawson, automatically you cut the uh, gas pedal off of your up-tempo team, right? Yep. <laughs> no, these are all, hey, look, this is why, again, back to Mike D'Antoni. Say what you want about Mike D'Antoni, but the team would have had a very clear offensive identity that would have fit Denver. Um, and I don't know if it was a money situation. I don't know if it was a guy of Mike D'Antoni's caliber saying, you know what, I'm just not winning. I'm not going to lose 60 games next year. I'm going to wait for the right pitch, right, before I swing at this thing That again. wizard's job. Oh, gosh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'd be decent there. Yeah, it's, a, it's one of those things. I mean, we don't mean to make, give people a, this pessimistic thing. The, the point over, overall point is Mike Malone's history doesn't re- reflect that he's able to coach offense. But at the same time, that's up to the Nuggets organization to dictate to him, this is what we're going to do by the players he puts they put out there. And you make a good point. You trade Ty Lawson, that up-tempo likely will go because there's, they ain't a lot of up-tempo guards in the draft. Unless or we get other. really lucky and somehow D'Angelo Russell or Emmanuel Moutier become Nuggets. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Real <laughs> lucky. Yep. How, how big is this offseason for Denver? Oh, this Huge. to me, hey, look, you know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about the Sacramento Kings the last few days just because we've been in these talks with them. Yeah. And with the exception of that blip from like the, you know, 97 ish, 98, when Weber comes in and Divac comes in mm-hmm. and the run they have until about, I want to say, oh, five, oh, six, yeah, whatever right that window there. is. This, yeah. I mean, you know, you're looking at decades of bad decisions. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I've seen this movie it's before. True. I mean, the, this happened to the Nuggets. We went into a very dark winter from 1995 through 2003. Yep. And these, these are critical decisions. I mean, you know, you know when you draft Rafe LaFrance over Vince Carter, when you <laughs> trade the 10th pick in the draft for the 23rd pick in the draft and the guy never shows up. I mean, these, mm-hmm. these, these, these decisions have... I mean, there are only five guys on that starting lineup. There are only 12 guys on that roster. You only get so many bites out of that apple. And uh, Tim Conley himself has said, you know, we're not going to sit here and re-legislate the past, but everything we get from this point forward, including the coach, including this draft pick, including whatever trade they make, they can't F it up. They can't. No. Nope. Am, uh, am I correct in saying this is Tim Conley's last season under contract? Yes. Three-year deal, signed the same year as Brian Shaw? Yep. So, I mean, if things, t- it's going to be very, very difficult to judge what he does on draft night to, you know, I mean, do you give him a, you can't give him, you can't make or break his next contract on, okay, he took Hazonia and he played 20 minutes and scored eight points. Yeah. Okay, let's not bring Conley back. I mean, you almost have to bring Conley back for another contract, right? I mean, his vision is nowhere near being complete for this team. But then you have Pete Alessandro who comes back to the team who was, by all accounts, supposed to get the job after the side walked out the door. And look, Tim Connolly has a mixed record, and we all liked him personally. I mean, he is a great guy, and I think that he's been, so, maybe I'm a little biased, but he's been so engaging with the community here. He's been so engaging with yeah, the he's fans. he's been awesome. I think he deserves another three years. But um, he's got a mixed bag. I mean, if you look at, if you forget Tim the personality and you just look at Tim the record, um, you know, I know that the, the, the first round pick trade of the Rudy Gobert pick, um, May or may not have been. He may not have been obligated to do that from from, from higher authority, but it doesn't change the fact that we traded basically Rudy Gobert, 
you know, for Darrell Arthur, I think, right? Yes. Um, I believe that was the Darth And Eric Green. Yeah. I think it was Darrell, Darrell well, Arthur. Or was it the Eric Green? Green. Eric Green no, trade. Darrell Arthur was, uh, Darrell Arthur was the... Kufus. Um, Kufus. Kufus, yeah, that's right. Not yeah. a good trade. Not a good trade. Yeah. Um, Gobert, it was, what was it, Gobert and Cash for Eric Green? Yeah, I Cash in the 46th pick. Which was Eric Green. Which they took and Green. I don't think Eric Green's an NBA player. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, 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 you know... Probably a third point guard on the team at yeah, best. Yeah, no. unfortunately. Um, you know, the Shaw hiring... Not his finest hour, um, but I think that uh, I really like the Nurkic. Well, did Harris. he really have well, time? I'm saying I really like the, I really like the Nurkic Harris trade yeah. from McDermott. Um, I like the Joffrey Laverne. I think he stole him. Yeah. Um, maybe he'll end up have stole, ha- having stolen Jokic, and maybe all of Tim's international credentials will finally come to fruition this yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, I think the JJ Hickson trade, assigning uh, Nate Robinson, uh, you know. And those moves too. It's like, how do you how do you attribute who whose moves were those? Why did you sign JJ Hicks when you had Fareed? But then again, I mean, it's part of Tim's job is to be able to convince other guys below him and above him that well, of what they need to do. So if there were if there were other people saying, "Hey, we need to sign JJ Hickson and he did it. I mean, that still falls on his watch, unfortunately, but it still falls on his watch. Well, there's. I- <laughs> A lot of the decisions made right in the immediate aftermath of. Their hirings, specifically Conley and Shaw, um, they had a skeleton, literally a skeleton, skeleton, tr- skeleton, blah, 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 skeleton crew of people. I mean, uh, the entire scouting department was gone. Literally, it was just like you know, cr- and, in Tim's, and in Tim's defense, once Iguodala walked, yeah, he did the best he could and he salvaged it with Foy. Yeah, um, and that's not a that's not a move I necessarily blame him for. I'm just saying no. his record's been one of a, a mixed bag. I mean, look, everyone at this table, I think, and I know me, applauded the Aflalo trade oh, for yeah, Fournier, was... and in hindsight, not a good trade. Nope, <laughs> not a good trade. Uh, that was that turned out to be uh, bad, but we didn't know the earlier Aflalo that we came back demanded a whole bunch of post-ups. And, and, the, nu- <laughs> and the Nuggets that brought Aaron Aflalo back, and I'm not saying this to pick on you guys this time, the Nuggets that brought Aaron Aflalo back was projected to be a playoff team. And the Nuggets that, they, yep. that, that were... And, and again, if Mike Malone's coaching that roster last year, if, if Mike D'Antoni's coaching that roster last year, if George Carl's coaching that roster last year, are they a 45-win team? Is Brian Shaw that bad? Uh, so there's lots of layers to this. There's lots of nuance to yeah. this. Um, and as I always say, look, Tim and Josh, they've just got to make decisions. Time will tell if it's the right or the wrong decision. they just got to make some bold decisions. They have to make their decisions with confidence and stick to them and, and, and come up with a plan and just stick to it. Well, if, if they want to do, if they, listen, if, if, if it's one of those situations where they want to do something that they haven't told us, if they want to do something like have a path court-based team, that's about defense, kind of like the Bulls and all those things. If they want to do that, stick to it. You know, if you stick to it, hope that it wins. I, j- I mean, the don't tell us we're going to see fast break. Don't tell us we're going to be see a fast breaking <laughs> offense, and then. But half court only works when Zach Randolph is your four and Marcus Gasol is your five, <laughs> and Tim Con- and uh, and uh, Mike Connolly is your one. Yeah. Right? It doesn't work. It, trust me. It, it doesn't work without skilled players. Yeah. Um, you can have athletic players. George Carl's regular season brilliance was that he was able to take guys like Dante Jones and Chris Anderson, who were just great athletes, and he actually turned them into phenomenal defensive players that spearheaded the – sparked the fast break yep. so that the offensively skilled players could break, right? Yep. Um, 
And uh, but George, you know, George had athletes, and you know, JJ Hickson's not. I mean, these guys are not that great. JJ Hickson, no. Randy Foy, and Gallinari are not great no. athletes. Yeah, and that, I kind of I, I like what what Conley started doing. Obviously, on draft night last year, like that move to pick up two guys where you're, they're all 11 to 20 last year it was all the same type of players. You get two of them, you take a gamble. Uh, I really, really like the Jameer Nelson trade. Uh, trading Nate Robinson for Jameer Nelson helped the locker room immensely. Uh, I, I've grown to like the JaVale McGree trade. I hated giving up the first-round pick, but then I realized that's probably going to be two second-round picks. You get rid of that guy. I think Conley's been placing more emphasis on culture, and I think he's realizing maybe after you know, what they were in the first two years that they really needed to kind of clean up some of that. And so that's, that's why I think, you know, based on what he's done in the draft, as Andy said, with the, the picks and the guys that could come over, the steals, and clean up the culture, I, I would just like to see his vision. The Nuggets have had so many damn GMs in the last 10 years. You know, Kiki, all these guys, working team, your guys' favorite guy. Uh, you know, Masai, Conley, it's like, can we just have one no guy? I have to deal with. Can we have one guy for like 10 years, you know? Can we have like an R.C. Buford in right. Denver? You know, that's, that's well, really uh, what Hey, we look, I, I think I can speak for the three of us, and I'm sure no one at the Nuggets listens to this, but I think everyone at this table would be fine with Tim Conley being our R.C. Buford. You know, give him time. No. You know, Tim is basically, you know, there's two types of, well, I shouldn't be so narrowly focused, but there's basically two types of GMs. There's, there's, there's glorified scouts. And, and there's poker players. And I think he is a terrific scout. I mean, he is a lifelong scout. Um, he, he know it's amazing. Just, you know, we've all hung out with Tim off the record. And just the way he talks about, you know, everywhere I've been in the world, yeah. he's like, oh, you got to go look at my friend so-and-so because he's the assistant coach who runs the camp yep. there. And, you know, yep. he's got his tentacles in these international basketball camps all over the globe, all over the globe, which yeah. is really cool. So I think he's, on the scouting side, he's a hell of a GM. Um, the poker playing side... We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They've been quiet, too, so, I mean, we'll, we'll find out what happens. Well, I'm looking forward to it. it. How long has it been since we've been really able to look forward to a draft? Oh. Long time, right? Last year was, hey, look, it's always exciting. Um, unfortunately, when you miss the playoffs, it's all you have to look forward to. But uh, this draft's really exciting. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a 7 to 10 deep draft, and we're at 7. So, but Kind of the problem, though, I mean, I feel it's like a, like a 5 or 6. Play. I feel like even last year and this year, we're just on the outskirts of the outside looking in. And maybe next year, if the Knicks continue to suck, we'll be right. Can I, can I the, give a couple, throw things. out a couple names? And I know I wrote Justice Winslow for my pick on Sunday. But um, a couple comparables to Justice Winslow that scare me a little bit are Lamont Murray, uh, Ed O'Bannon. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, guys who, you know, guys who were, you know, Beasts in college and just were not sized right for the NBA. Derek Williams, uh, Derek Williams, Derek Williams. Williams. I, mean, I can't, I can't one, think yeah. of a six foot four and a half. We'll give him six five, which is my height. I can't imagine me playing the three in the NBA. I can't not imagine when you're going against a guy like Danilo Gallinari, yeah. who's a six foot ten three. Yep, and that's my. I'm just struggling. Yeah. I'm struggling with that with Winslow. <laughs> he is of, and, he, and you're right. He played a lot of four. In college, and that's where he was best. I mean, Ray Allen's only six five, but he's a he's a two guard who doesn't miss when he shoots. 
Yeah, you know, Paul Pierce is like six seven, six eight. Paul see, Pierce is a three. See, and Hizonia is a eight, six foot eight shooting guard. Well, Carmelo Anthony, yeah. for all of Carmelo Anthony's faults, and it's so much fun to pick on him, and that we could do a whole podcast <laughs> on picking on him. But Carmelo Anthony, article or two. Carmelo Anthony, six eight, six nine. I mean, legitimately six eight, six nine. He's big. Yeah. I mean, he is big, and he's a three. Yep. And so that means that that means that Winslow's going to play two. And is he just Gary Harris? And you're taking Gary Harris at seven this time. That's a great point. That's I didn't a even good think point. about that. Yeah. You have you have the defensive specialist in, in Harris that might have a, more this, offensive game. This is why we have him on. This yeah. is why we draft his own you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's why we need his <laughs> or, or 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 Willie Cauley Stein. What did you? Uh, so I read. But did, he's got sickle cell. You may not have read that. So he There's, plays twenty five minutes instead of thirty. <laughs> <laughs> why would that's a safe pick? <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean that's true. I, I think Willie. Hey, there's no other gamble seven. though. I don't think it's seven <laughs> other than Hazonia. Who's the other gamble? Because everybody else is somewhat known. They're all freshmen. They would have to reach on some like like uh, Stanley Johnson would be a reach. I think uh, Devin Booker. Devin Booker would be a reach. Uh, Gosh. Or do you trade down and you draft a guy like Sam Decker and you never miss a three point shot again? Nuggets would be excoriated for trading down. They never even brought in uh, Frank Kaminsky. Decker was here. I was kind of surprised Kaminsky. Well, never they came they, in. they listened to me and they they looked at Kaminsky and said that's Danny. Shays. Well, We've already had Danny Shays. Hey, Danny, you know what? Uh, <laughs> who was who, who I comparing uh, Kaminsky to Danny Shays to? To Scott Hastings. I think it was Scott Hastings. Scott Hastings said, hey, I'll tell you something. Danny Shays played almost 20 years. So say what you want about Danny Shays. <laughs> no, seriously. He played almost 20 years. Yes, he did. I, was, uh, I forgot that uh, he played almost 10 years after he left the Nuggets. So you guys sticking to your picks. Final predictions. Jeff, what happens on draft night? Um. The Nuggets will take Mario Hazonia. How about that? Andy? Um, you know, I, I don't like to waffle. I, I said Winslow. I'm going to stick with Winslow. Um, you talked me out of it, though. I talked you out of Winslow? <laughs> the Gary Harris. You can't pick someone. They talk, they, they pick. Well, <laughs> Nate talked me into Hazonia because Nate's basically saying you got to roll the dice here. So you, okay, you want, me to, want me to take Hazonia? Want me to double down with Jeffrey? What do you think? What do you think? what you need to do. Well, what do you think actually happens on draft night? You think they just use... I think they have six and seven. I'm not, I'm not, by the way, and I'm not bullshitting with you guys. I think they will have six and seven. I think they get two bites out of the apple, and I think we get Hazonia and Winslow. That would be, inter- that would be an interesting... Be awesome. Yeah, man, I'd, I'd, I'd take that. I will take your scenario every day, but they may get Moody. Or, or you get six and seven, knowing the Knicks are so desperate for everything. You trade up to four. And then you get Moutier or Russell. Ah, but Russell won't fall to four. Who knows? Why? Sam Hinkie is obligated to draft someone who won't play for like 30, 13 <laughs> more seasons. I think, so I think he, Russell may go He's going to have to take Pazingas at three. I think, no, I think he may go. Oh, Kobe Bryant will be thrilled yep. with that. I think, uh, I think he goes Hazoni at seven, and I think they take Jerry and Grant later in the first round. Oh, I, don't, I, don't I, I wouldn't be there. disappointed with that either. I'm thinking Hazonia and Jerry and Grant. Those are my picks. All right, guys. Well, we are out of here. Andy, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Guys, always fun to be here, and uh, I am heartsick that I won't be with you on Thursday. It's, be, it's, our, it's an annual tradition, and I won't make this mistake next year. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully the Nuggets will have something good news for you when you get off your flight. So. Yeah, we'll be talking about who they pick next week. Bye.